Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's second Sunday morning gathering. Uh, we gather to show off the glory of Christ where? Oh, that sounds dead. I, if it's life, I need some life. Uh, we, we exist to what? Show off Christ in every area of? Life. Amen. Show off his glory in every area of life. Um, just a, a couple of things before we dive into this text today. Um, the financial review that we're doing, we want you to make sure, particularly Covenant Community members, that you come to it because it is a time for us to celebrate what God is up to. And what happens is, is when you come to our financial review, I, I know that a lot of y'all don't come because, uh, you know, it's a sign that you trust the leadership, which we, we appreciate that. Um, but what we want to do is we want to show you where things go so that you're going to know how to pray for the future because we're not just there to, to show you where money goes, but to also cast vision of where God wants us to go and the resources that it takes to get behind that to get those things done and fire you up about celebrating milestones that we've passed by God's great grace. And so we want you to be able to come to see how uh, ministry has been affected in Camden, how ministry is being affected in Germantown, how ministry is being affected in Malawi, how ministry is being affected in our neighborhood and even among our own flock and lives that are being changed through the way that you give resources. So um, as we announce and continue to promote the financial review happening, make sure that you mark your calendars uh, to say, I want to come so you can see what's going on and see exactly where the resources go and even ask questions and uh, provide opportunities where you can help us to think more strategically in any way that you would suggest. We take every suggestion seriously, um, even though there's a vision and we're being led by the Spirit. Um, we're a body and we can always use input. Somebody should say amen. Y'all pretty quiet. Um, uh, all right, I'm just making sure y'all out there. All right, um, last but not least, I know some of y'all know we announced it, but my wife and I are glad that we are having a girl. Yeah. Amen. Um, yeah, it's going to be rough on some dudes, man. You know, um, you're just not going to be able to come up in my crib like that. Um, just let you know, um, we got three boys. My oldest knows Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai. That's a problem. My second uh, um, has training and anger, and um, <laughs> and um, and I got training in street Negro. So, you know, you just got a problem when you come to my door. You know what I'm saying? It's a new form that I've created. You know, so you know, so and I do. So we're gonna protect her and love on her and and take care of her and that type of thing. And um, everybody thinks I'm a spoiler. Y'all don't know me like that. <laughs> probably so, probably so, probably so. But I'm, we're thankful to the good Lord. And it was funny, we didn't know last week um, when we preached on, when I preached on, you know, the, the God who resurrects dead things and, you know, and losing our daughter 15 years ago and then God giving us another, not a replacement, but, you know, just God in his grace. He's just good and merciful and um, his kindness knows no ends. And so we're thankful to the good Lord for that. Well, let's stand to our feet, and let's get into the book. We're in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 uh, through uh, the 20th verse. And I, I'm going to start reading with you, as is our tradition. Um, and then you guys keep on going. Here we go. <clears throat> now, the 11 disciples... Let's go. Went to Galilee 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Keep going. Amen, amen, amen. In this uh, section of our series on core values, uh, we're dealing with conversions. And the subject I would like to take in talking about conversions is what Jesus left us to do. Uh, to be, actually. <laughs> um, what Jesus left us to be, not do. So we'll see in a second why I said that. What Jesus left us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the one who changes lives and you're the one who transforms and strengthens. And so I pray that you would pour your oil on us so that we can see clearly and be strengthened by the power of the Spirit, Lord God. And I um, pray, God, that as we focus on being that, uh, that, that impacts our doing, that you would bring unbelievable transformation and power to us so that we can recognize um, the nature by which you put us here to be able to engage and challenge the lives of those around us, but first be challenged ourselves. And so let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, in in, in uh, high school, I, I had a dream. And that dream was to be an R&B singer. Um, I know y'all looking at me like, Pastor, I could not see any of those teachings. But um, I, I literally wanted to be an R&B singer. It was I was in a group called Foreplay. And um, it's history. It's history. It's history. I mean, that's history. But that's my little group. Stop laughing at my little group, man. And, um, and um, we could blow. We was all right. You know what I'm saying? Tight harmonies studio in the back of the house and all of that, um, and, 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 you know, and we had a great time. And, our, and we were trying to get our demo tape done so that we can go to Jack the Rapper in Atlanta and uh, shop our demo tape to different uh, agencies. We wanted to be on LaFace. We was looking at all different types of labels. We was even looking at uh, Bev Entertainment. We were trying to get at him so we could do one of them harmony breaks for him and, and get that in. And, and, and of course, uh, thank be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ that that did not happen. Um, but what I did uh, realize during that time and even realize now that um, in, in developing as a vocalist at the time, I, I, I began to study vocals and I began to realize that what I, what I did was built on some people that came before me that really were game changers that changed male vocals forever. Now, I know everybody got their own opinion. I'm going to give you mine, all right? To me, there are four or five of the nastiest vocalists, male-wise, that changed the soul R&B game, all right? Number one, Sam Cooke. Number one, Sam Cooke. Um, uh, um, um, num num number, num number two, number two, uh, Donnie Hathaway. Um, number three, of which I'm going to see at the Barclays Center tonight with my wife, Stevie Wonder. Um, yeah, I'm going with my wifey tonight. I'm excited. Um, uh, 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 num 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 number four, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. 
and, 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 and number five, Charlie Wilson. And so, and so those are guys that I thought that really changed. And people are like, what does that got to do? It got everything to do with what we're about to talk about. <laughs> um, um, because, they, because a lot of young artists don't realize that vocally they wouldn't think creatively in the way that they do without the building blocks that was laid artistically before them. In other words, whoever comes before you was always in a mindset of creativity to be a, a contributor to the art form in such a way that those who came after them could learn from them and be studies of them uh, uh, um, 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 so that they can expand their vocal bandwidth and their artistic bandwidth. Well, being a Christian is the same way as being a vocal artist, is that people that came before us who were disciples of Jesus Christ were spiritually artistic building blocks to help us to look more like Jesus Christ. In, 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 other, in, other, in other words, none of us exist on an, owl, uh, on an island uh, uh, by ourselves. God has been working and doing his work uh, comprehensively for millennia, and we are standing on the shoulders of all of those people. Every time we plant a church as Epiphany Fellowship and planting Epiphany Camden and, and planting all the different churches that we're planting, um, we recognize that God has soil that he's already worked on and things that he's already done, and we're going to add to the equation of what God has commissioned the body to do, not just us to do. And, 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 and as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to recognize that God has called you <coughs> in this great idea of being commissioned to his namesake to be a building block for somebody else. In other words, God is using you as a pioneering missionary, whether you like it or not, to, to change the game in relation to those who would come under your tutelage and be under studies of you so that they can grow and look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as a matter of fact, we, we come to this passage in Matthew 28, and we see some beautiful things that is the climax of the entire book of Matthew. As we look at this book and we see the proclamation of what the author of Matthew wanted to do, we recognize that Matthew wanted to present Jesus Christ as the Messianic king. Uh, we see that Luke wanted to present Jesus Christ as son of man. We see that Mark wanted to present Jesus as suffering servant. And we see that John wanted to present him as the son of God. And as we look at Matthew's passion to proclaim the messianic kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ as absolute monarch, as absolute ruler, as absolute power, as absolute authority, as absolute massive king who's over all things, in control over all things, sovereign over all things, just over all things, righteous over all things, he is after making sure that we get a picture of a big Jesus Christ. And, and as he gives us a picture of Jesus Christ, he ends the book on what is called normally the Great Commission. But we, we don't recognize that this text of the Great Commission was not the first time this communication has been given to God's people. It's been given a multiplicity of times throughout the Bible as the missiological commitment of the people of God to be and help others to be conformed to the image of the living God through Jesus Christ. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. It's a, the first commission happened. When God created Adam and Eve, he commissioned them to a work. He commissioned them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Jesus Christ lookalikes. People who would fill the earth with the massivity of the greatness of who God is in order that before the fall, earth would look like God. 
Earth was supposed to reflect who God is in all of its excellencies, but, but that wasn't the first time it happened. The fall happened, and then the ability to fill the earth with people who look like God meant that now, because of the fall, the earth was going to be filled with people that look like a mess. And so now there needed to be a conversion experience and a proclamation of a conversion experience that helps to change the reality of the fact that the polarity shift of humanity has been changed. And so Noah was given the baton. And the Bible says, and it restates what he says in Genesis 1. Are y'all trucking with me today? I'm just making sure. So in, G- in Genesis chapter 8, um, it's restated to Noah with God after the flood, after he wiped out the earth, giving him a chance to rebirth the earth with people who called on the name of the living God. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with who? People who called on the name of the Lord. Who, why would they call upon the name of the Lord? Because his name is the sign of the covenant. But then, uh, of course, Noah got drunk and he failed at what he did. And, uh, and then the, the baton was passed to Abraham. And in Genesis 12, in Genesis 12, it's powerful. He tells him he's going to be the father of the faith. And from every sector of the globe and from every sector of the nation, there will be represented, every nation, there will be representatives of him all over the planet who is the seed of Abraham, not just physically, but spiritually based on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, but, but then it goes from there, and we see over and over and over again this restatement. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, we see again the commission being given to the people of God who were not supposed to become an ingrown toenail, but they were supposed to become a people who would show off as they show off the distinctiveness of who God is and as they live in community with one another, as they live in concert with his law, as they live in relationship with him, as they submit to his word, as they do all that he's called them to do, they would be a light to the world. And in being a light to the world, people of God, they were supposed to represent, represent his reign everywhere. But, every, every, but even under the Adamic covenant and even under the Noahic covenant, even under the Abrahamic covenant and uh, 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 the Mosaic covenant or the Palestinian covenant, even in the midst of that, the people that were the representative mediaries of those covenants did not complete the proper work of that commission. And because of the lack of completion of that commission, the prophets began prophesying and pointing. And they began prophesying and pointing that there was going to be one that would come and that would change the game and that he would institute the change of the commission that would only happened through him that would cause the polarity of the Edemic covenant, of the Abrahamic covenant, and of the Noahic covenant, and of the Palestinian covenant, and of the Mosaic covenant to find its collision in the new covenant. And as we come into the new covenant, we have the proclamation of the same edict given over again, but given by a different person that actually has the spiritual and natural authority to bring to pass what God edict over and over again over millennia to happen. Are y'all trekking with me today? Y'all real quiet, so I'm just making sure. And so we come to a passage today where I'm excited about. I'm excited about this passage because it reminds us of not what we're supposed to do, but who we are. The problem with many of us as believers is we're concerned about what we're supposed to do. But doing comes out of being. And so we come to this passage where Jesus has died on the cross and is risen from the grave. And he asked his disciples to meet him in Galilee on the mountain that they used, used to chill at every now and then. Jesus gets on top of the mountain and stands on the top, climbs the mountain. I don't know if he appeared on the mountain or he climbed the mountain with them. But he met them on top of the mountain and a, fo- a cloud begins to form around his feet at the top of the mountain. And he's chopping it up with his disciples and giving them the last will of what he wants them to do forever until he returns and comes back and gets them. 
these are the most important things that he wants them to be and recognize and understand in order for them to reflect the commitment that God has in them and invested in them and engaged them to be able to be for others. Which brings me to my first point. We talk about what Jesus left us to be. Number one, before you know, before you know what to be, you must have clarity of who Jesus is. Before you know what to be, you must have clarity on who Jesus is. The Bible says here, it says, in, it says in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. I like that. Now what's interesting here is most of the times it's easy to pass this. Because most people, when they read the passage on the Great Commission, they start at verse 18 and not verse 16. And, and, and it's very, very important for you not to miss chapter, verse 16, because this would have been shocking to the earliest readers. That in this verse of verse 17, as he begins to communicate what they did when they got there, they saw him and they went to the mountain. And as they began to climb the mountain and they began to see the exalted Savior with a cloud forming around their feet, they saw him exalted like Isaiah saw him exalted and could not help do anything but worship him. Yes. Let me see if I can make it plain because y'all still looking at me funny. Um, oh, throughout the Bible, angels uh, would come and they would be shy, shining and beautiful and glorious looking. And, and when these angels would come, um, they would, the people would just be rocked by them and they would think it was God and they would fall to their face and they would try to worship the angel. And the angel would quickly bid them, get up, I'm just a servant like you. But when I look at Matthew from chapter 2 all the way to uh, chapter 28, it's the book of the New Testament that specifically talks about Jesus being worshipped over and over and over and over and over again. And when, when, the, when the wise men came and they came to Jesus Christ, it said they went up to worship him. When the winds and the waves were going real hard and, and they thought that they were going to sink, uh, and they said, Lord, don't you see us perishing? Jesus wiped the sleep out of his eyes. And he stood up in the midst of the storm without breaking a sweat, without being frustrated, and without being fearful and saying, get the water off the boat. He didn't do any of that. All he said was two words. He said, peace, three words, peace, be still. And peace stopped in the midst of its tracks. And the storm began to end. And the disciple says, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? It's interesting he didn't speak to the winds and the waves. He spoke to peace. That's another sermon. But when he says, peace be still, peace stood still, the storm stopped, and the Bible says, and they began to worship him. And when they began to worship him in the midst of a wet sinking boat, they worshiped him, and Jesus didn't tell them to stand up. So again, he tells, he, they worship him, and, 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 and they don't do anything, and he doesn't do anything about it. What does this have to do with discipleship? Everything. It has everything to do with discipleship because discipleship first comes with being rocked by who Jesus Christ is. <laughs> you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you cannot make disciples of people if you're not rocked by the one you're conforming them into the image to. Now, now the problem with many of us, it's okay. See, many, many of us don't recognize that we're being discipled by something. Everybody's a disciple of something. In other words, the way you know you're a disciple of something is you ask yourself the question of, 
what feeds my soul the most? In other words, if this thing says this to me, or this place says this to me, or this person says this to me, what will happen is you know who you're following by who, when they bid you to come, you go. See, y'all looking at me funny. See, see, the question is, when you think of your marriage, marriage person, who influences how you do marriage? You single person, who, who influences you in how you're a single? You man, who influences your masculinity? You woman, who influences your femininity? In other words, when you think of the best example of what it means to be you, who comes to mind? And whoever comes to mind is your disciple maker. Wow. And, so, and so worshiping Jesus Christ is exalting every potential disciple maker above him, above Jesus, above that particular thing. In, 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 in other words, if you like Lucius off of Empire, that's what you want to be like. If you like P. Diddy, that's who you want to be like. If you want to be like Jay-Z, if you want to be like Bill Gates, whoever you want to be like. If you want to be like Homegirl off of Scandal, if you want to be like the boss chick and the big boss, this big boss coach, I'm going to hit somebody, the boss, I'm a boss chick and I'm a boss dude, help me today, God. Oh, hey, uh, uh, I'm, I'm so sick of that. Um, um, but, but anyway, yet I regress. Um, uh, 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 it's very, very important that you need to ask yourself, who has the greatest amount of soul influence on you? Yes. See, worshiping Jesus Christ penetrates who's your true influencer to exalt him above who influences you. Yeah. And, so, and so everybody's being conformed to someone's image. The question is, whose image are you being conformed into? And so before he even talks about Matthew lays out anything about discipleship particularly, he lays out the idea of worship and that they held him in high regard because they were rocked by him. And the Bible says that some doubt it. And that, that could mean those who are here or others who are among the 500 who were left who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he, as he goes further, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. <laughs> this is interesting because the word here for authority is exousia. And this word can be translated power or authority. <laughs> now, the major issue you must recognize is Jesus always had power. But he didn't always have all authority. See, power and authority are two different things. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. I'm not a heretic. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit simultaneously exist, but they're three individual persons that have varying levels of authority. God the Son submits to God the Father, God the Spirit submits to God the Son and God the Father. <clears throat> so, so therefore, there are different levels of authority. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God the Father chooses, the Son saves, the Spirit seals. So therefore, they are one, but they have different functions and they have different levels of authority. But the issue is Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are all omnipotent, all, all powerful, but they don't have equal authority even though they have equal value. Yes. Let me see if I can make it plain. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, what makes Jesus so powerful is that he doesn't always use all of his power. Okay, let me see if I can make it plain. See, that's how you know you got authority. Uh, um, because in, in a marriage, women are more powerful than men. Okay? Y'all looking at me funny. I don't know if husbands, if you ever, let's see, some of y'all ain't married. It's okay. Just tune in and put it in your pocket. 
your wife, I'm, you're not smart, dude. Like, let me just tell you. She will run circles around you. Now, you can think, you can get a degree from all eight or nine Ivy League schools and still not be as smart as she is. You, uh, fellas, you ever had your wife talking to you and, you, and she's just going fast, laying out all these details in your mind? <laughs> I mean, you're trying to process the first thing she said. <laughs> and then she got the nerve to ask you, are you listening to me? <laughs> right? And, and, and I'm, like, I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, babe. You got to say that. You're not listening to me. I'm like, it's not I'm listening. My processor is over. See, God gave women a different computer chip than us. And they can, they, can do, they can do five things. Can you go get this? And can you go to the store? Can you do this? And the woman, is like, you know, can do four things. She's working with her foot, doing all the ironing, cooking, you know what I'm saying, and cleaning over here and doing something like that. You know what I'm saying? Women can just do all kinds of things. We just like one thing. You know what I'm saying? We do one thing, and we just put ourselves into it, right? And in other words, women are more powerful than us, but they don't have more authority than us. But that doesn't make our value or equality different. It's just that what God created us to do in unison needs varying levels of authority to get done what he wants to do. When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, what he's, 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 he's letting us know something powerful. That God the Father for a certain season of time is, let, is giving up some of, not his power, because doesn't, Jesus doesn't need God's power because he already is God. But he does need God's authority. So the God the Father sits back. He says, son, you rocked this whole trip to earth for 33 years. He said, the devil tempted you. He said, that was crazy. High five me. Boom. He high fives him. He's like, you murdered it, man. I'm so proud of you, man. I mean, you, I mean the devil tried to tempt you. You shrugged him off and all of that. Your boy Peter told you not to go to the cross. You called him Satan and kept moving. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, and, 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 man, you got your skin torn off your body and you still held to me. You were even on the cross and you were still talking to me. He said, you were talking to me while they were brutalizing you and hurting you and exposing your veins and exposing your organs and exposing your bone. He says, so son, I anoint you to be worthy, to be exalted as the preeminent member of the Godhead, to be the authoritarian while I sit on my throne and just let you as my son be my young boy and do what you're going to do. And so Jesus says, it's interesting, he says all authority, he's not saying some, in heaven and on earth. Oh, okay, see, see, those are two different things because he could have just said, I'm giving you all authority in heaven, which would have applied to earth. But that's his divine authority based on his eternality as God. So his purse, because he's going to give the authority back to the Father in 1 Corinthians 15, it says when he comes back and does everything, he's going to give the crown back to God the Father, and then he's going to submit back under the Father's authority. Ah, I can stay there for a while. Tell me today, God. But, 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 Jesus, but Jesus is so powerful is that he not only earned heaven's authority, he earned earthly authority. Because when Adam sinned, he gave up his authority that God had given him in the earth. And when he gave that up, Satan now was the ruler of the prince and powers of the air. But now what God did was he upgraded the edemic authority and made a Christological authority in the Christ who exists in hypostasis. 
Oh, you should. You missed your shouting. I'm about to run in here today. I don't know what's wrong with this gathering, but I'm about to lose my mind that Christ is so powerful. Help me today, God. So he has all authority. So that, that means he's preeminently sovereign, and he can tell anyone anything that he wants to do, and he's bigger than everybody on earth and in heaven. Even though he has authority, he's not over his father, but he has delivered authority to him to be trusted with everything. In other words, because of what he's done, because of all that he is, and because of the might of his power, God being rich in mercy and power entrusted his authority to his son. My God, help me today. And so, um, Jesus, so powerful in how we use his authority because Jesus, although when he came to earth, he is powerful, he functioned as powerless. Although he is limited, he limited himself on earth, but in heaven he is limitless. Although he is great, he became nothing. Although he is rich, he became poor. And although he is mighty, he became vulnerable. (laughs) And because of that, God highly exalts him and has bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. That's why when we get baptized, we get baptized not in the names, but the name. (laughs) Because God has said, I'm going to just let... I'm going to just let heaven know us by you. (laughs) So, I I mean, you you so rocked this trip, the earth. I'm going to just use your name to represent God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So whenever they say the name of Jesus, they access every one of us. (laughs) Anyway, I'm by myself. (laughs) Second point, and I'll be out your way. Um... God calls us to be disciples who make disciples. God calls us to be. Somebody say be. Be. God calls us to be disciples who make disciples. It's powerful what he began saying, why he was given authority. Now, recognize that his authority that he was given is connected to a reality of a commission for us. Okay? Don't miss that. This authority has deep purpose for our lives to walk submitted and empowered by that authority that God the Father gave God the Son. Now check it out what it says right here. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the controlling verb here is make disciples. Go baptize and later on teach is modifying make disciples. In other other words, make disciples is the main thing we're supposed to do. Go baptize and teach tells us how disciples are made. Now, go is interesting because go can be translated as you go. In other words, words, it's a part of your everyday life. You can't separate yourself from it. In other words, go make disciples, go baptize, and guess what? Um, Teach our participles. A participle, quick lesson, is a verbal adjective. So it's what you do, but it's also who you are. In in, in other words, you're, you're identified not by the going, in the doing of the going, 
or the doing of the baptizing or, listen, or the doing of the teaching. You are a goer, you are a baptizer, and you are a teacher. Somebody going to catch this in a second. In other words, your identity as a believer is several fold. You're a worshiper and you're a disciple. When you're born, God doesn't create believers, he creates disciples. He didn't ask you to do that. And so, so, so making disciples is a powerful idea, but the way disciples are made is going, baptizing, and teaching. Let's look at go. As you go, that means in your everyday life, you should be thinking about discipleship. Yeah. Now, 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 this is interesting because he's not talking to the elders and the deacons only. He's talking to every believer. Right, right. Now, when he say as you go, he's not asking you to add anything extra to your schedule. Right. There it is. There it is. When he say as you go, He's talking about in the circles of influence that you already got. So when you go to the beauty salon and they cussing and gossiping, make disciples. In the barbershop where they cutting hair and watching porno flicks, make disciples. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. It's okay. Um, while, you, while you working out, make disciples. When you get in the shower at the gym, make disciples. When you're walking on the way, make disciples. When you go to the grocery store, make disciples. When you go to the corner store, make disciples. Everywhere you go, it's supposed to be filled with divine interruptions of God utilizing you as an agent to tell somebody about Jesus. Um, I, I, I take my sons to the barbershop, and um, man, I, I, just, I just can tell you, uh, I don't want to go to certain barbershops because when you got young kids, it's just craziness. And so I wanted to leave. And the Lord was like, nah, you're going to stay in the barbershop. I was like, dang, I want to go in here. So I'm, I said, I'm going to go in this barbershop. It was a nice day. And I just wanted to go in there, get their hair, hair cut, and sit and play Angry Birds with them. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do because I didn't feel like dinner with nobody that day. Um, but then a conversation came up. In the barbershop, you know, we got a Moorish Temple of Science dude here. We have a Muslim here, a Muslim here, a I don't know here, and another I don't know. But, but it's an interesting environment. So I'm sitting in there, and dudes is coming in thug. Dudes coming in. Dudes is going outside smoking weed in front of the barbershop. Here's Nehemiah. Here's Manny in the chair. And God is saying, you're not going to leave the barbershop. I'm going to protect them, and they're going to watch you in the midst of this environment. Do something for me that you don't want to do. So a, so a, a subject came up. The Bible's been changed. And then everything within me began to sizzle with violent vigor. I was like, I, I, I was like, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And inside of me, I began to burst and become this hog dude. And, 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 I, and, I, and they kept talking, and they were just, you hear the King James in 1611, you see, and they just waxing eloquent, going at it. And God said, Okay, pride down, humility up, pride down, humility up. He said, now speak. I was like, I, I, fellas, if I could just say one thing. Um, can, can I just say something? Yeah, boss, get at it. Like, first off, you need to take that bass out your voice, dog. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit too much bass for me. But, um, you know, um, <laughs> um, I said, well... When did you say the Bible was changed? Well, you know King James and Shakespeare. I said, when were they when they came along? 1611. I said, can I just humbly present something to you? He said, yeah. I said, well, the Old Testament and the New Testament was not written in Old English. It was written, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. 
And in Daniel, from chapter 9 on, was written in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. As a matter of fact, and it's a white man's thing, though. It's white people. And I'm like, calm down. I said, actually, actually, um, um, I've read manuscripts from the second century that were transmissions of the original manuscripts that were transmitted in Alexandria and Egypt by black people. So the room went quiet then. (laughs) And so I I, I just began to stand up in the middle of the room. Something came over me. And I said, hey, it, I, stop. I'm, I'm literally at, I'm up on 12 million. I said, stop saying the Bible has been changed and the white people changed the Bible. The Bible was written by Semitic olive-complected people in the Middle East. And the first transmitters of the Bible were not whites. Even if it was whites, that wouldn't make it bad anyway. But since y'all hung up on white folk in Byzantine and in Alexandria and in Western conflations of the manuscript, if I said, listen to me in the barber. I mean, I'm going off in the barbershop. <laughs> and I said, I said, will y'all stop using Pharis- uh, uh, Farrakhanian uh, epistemology and learn history instead of reading dudes who have no end notes or footnotes in their books? I mean, I, 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 I went off. Then I sat down, I said, huh. and Mandy was like, Dad, you all right? You, you all right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm saying that to say, God interrupted my journey. And now I'm going to be having lunch with one of them. Um, I gave them all copies of Manhood Restored. You know, I'm giving them out. I'm like, here y'all go. Here y'all go. How much you want for? I said, nah, I ain't like the dude that was bringing the bootleg joint. This ain't bootleg right here. You know what I'm saying? I wrote this, you know. So I'm giving them copies of my books, you know. And, 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 and I said, read it and let's chop it up. In other words, God challenges our way. I'm not trying to exalt me. I'm just letting you know I ain't want to do that. But what God does through the Spirit is he interrupts your journey for somebody else's good. And that's why we have that core value so that we can build into our life these interruptions. Um, Go, therefore, make disciples, all nations, baptizing them. Baptism points to conversion, assumed. It assumes conversion. Why does it assume conversion? Because post-conversion, he's commanding. He's commanding. He's commanding what? That you teach people how to be committed to more than a profession of faith. In other words, he's calling us to make disciples, not altar calls. Now, altar calls are helpful to identify people, but they're not helpful to transform people if you don't point them to the fact that you have to die and be raised from the grave. That's what baptism points to. And so God wants them to be challenged by this reality that we go, that we baptize, but then he says teach. And that means that he says teach them everything that I've taught you. What's powerful about God calling us to teach them everything that God has taught us is this, is we're supposed to teach the whole council to people. That means we expose them to the stuff we like and the stuff they don't like. That means you can't tell everybody God's going to bless you and God's going to, God does bless, but that ain't the whole story. God allows suffering. What, What did the Bible say? It says, 
It says, after they made many disciples, after they preached the gospel, made many disciples. And this is what they taught them. This was young believers. They said, through many trials and tribulations, that's the way you get in the kingdom. So in other words, there's going to be some confusing things that happen in your life. See, that's discipleship. Discipleship ain't telling nobody, you're going to get a house, you're going to get a... Discipleship is saying, man, sometimes some stuff is going to happen to you and God won't answer you right away. Some of y'all, y'all would have been out of some mess if you'd have just heard that. If you'd have just, if you'd have just heard that. And, 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 and what's powerful about this reality is, is that the, the, we want to, the, the, what God is trying to do is solidify the clarity of conversion. Conversion is clear. I, I, let, me, let me see if I can make it plain. Um, I, I, I remember, see, see, I remember I was in, I was in the park and I'm, I'm letting Manny play. He was smaller. Do what a Sunni beard comes over. I'm like, I'm going to just play with my son. I'm going to just play with my son. I'm going to, the Lord was like, no, you're not. I own you. You don't own me. Play with Manny and talk to this guy about me. I was like, okay. So I started talking to this guy about Jesus. He said, well, I'm a Muslim. I said, I figured that. He said, I used to be a Christian. I said, I said, that's impossible. He said, what you mean? He says, no way in the world you used to be a Christian. He said, what you mean? I said, being a Christian is not giving shallots or signing a piece of paper. God causes you by faith to be born again. So if you're a Christian, you can't unconvert yourself from Christianity. Because if you were a Christian, God would bug you. Okay, y'all, y'all looking at me funny. I remember when I got saved. And, I didn't, and, I, and, I, and I'm talking about I wasn't ready, right? I, tr- I trusted Christ as Savior. And, man, I started wild and worse. I started smoking weed hard, drinking Mad Dog 2020, drinking Boone's Farmer, Absolute. I was getting it in, playing the chronic. I was losing my mind. I was, I was like, and, and what was interesting is that the Holy Ghost wouldn't let me stay high. I was, like, I, I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know no vibes. I don't want to know no vibes. And I was trying to get away from it. Holy Ghost was like, I'm not going to let you. Yeah, I'm blow your high. How you doing? I love you. Hey, what's up? You, this is not you. This is not you. I'm like, I don't want to know. I'm doing like this and all like that. He said, I ain't talking to them. I'm talking to them. To your heart. And I couldn't. And, 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 and in, other words, in other words, when you're really saved, you can't stay messed up. When you're really saved, you can run if you want, but he's there. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he's right there. He's right there. Like, when you're trying to wild out, the Holy Spirit's inside of you like, yo, this ain't you, dog. Like, sister girl, what you doing? And I was trying to get with chick, doing all of these things to run. And I said, man, when you're converted, you can't fully immerse yourself into another thing. I said, mister, you may have went to church, but you were not a Christian. Because when the Almighty One changes you from the inside out by faith, it's a supernatural interruption of your life by which someone who is dead in their trespasses, far from the peaceful shore, seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea he'll hear your cry and by his might he will lift you up out of the mire 
no way in the world you can be comfortable in your sin being transformed by the all-powerful God. It's no way. If you're his and you're comfortable, you're not his. God loves you enough to make you discomfort, uncomfortable in your sin. The Holy Spirit will weep in your soul. And you'll feel pain in your chest. And you'll think you need to go to the hospital. And you're not having a heart attack. You're having conviction of the soul, and that's his love for you. <clears throat> we don't serve a God that makes us feel good about our sin. We serve a God that confronts us in our sin, in love and in truth. And some of you, under the sound of my voice, you come to church, you go to life group, but you are walking in, in, in legitimate foolishness. Some of you are sleeping around and losing your mind. Some of you are getting drunk. Some of you are slapping yourself in the face by the way you're trying to do it. And God will not let you get away with it. Some of you are in messes and God is bugging you because you have been truly converted and some of you are sitting in here and you feel nothing when preaching goes forth. You sense nothing when worship goes forth. You sense nothing when communion comes past and you just take communion and you just lift your hands in worship and there's no heavenly oil in your soul because you've never met him before. But some of you, every time you hear something from God, you wrestle because you know you planned your sin, and God is fighting you. He's fighting you because he loves you with everything in his omnipotence, and his omniscience, and his omnipresence craves you. He wants you. Intimacy. He wants all of you. That's why you were converted. You were not converted to be the same. And you stop thinking you can be regular. You stop thinking you can be like everybody else. You stop thinking you can be a people pleaser. You stop it today. Christ has come to shake up the foundations of your life. And conversion is real. That's what makes Christianity different. Is it's not a prayer. It's not a sinner's prayer. It's not that. It's not just getting in the baptismal pool. It's not singing on the praise team. It's not coming to church. It's being really changed. And now that you're different, because you are, is why you do. He's beckoning you today. He's beckoning you today. Unbeliever, be converted. I adjure you in the mighty name of Christ. Be born again. Be born again. For real, for real. 
I'm not talking about black saved or American saved. When you rest on grandmama's prayers and growing up with a white robe on, I'm talking about a conversion of your soul being renewed by faith in what Christ has done on the cross for you and got up from the grave so that you and I would not be punished forever. And for those of you who are believers, stop now in your tracks and stop convoluting the voice of the Spirit by your adjuring choices and foolishness that makes you live like an unbeliever. Every head bow, every eye closed. I saw some of y'all get shook. I want to pray for you, believer. Come forward. Come forward. You know why I'm telling you. Exactly what I ended this. Thank you, brother. I don't have to explain this. You know why you need to be prayed for. You know why you need to do business. Thank you for being bold, brother. Thank you, sister, for being bold. Thank you, people of God, for being bold. Thank all of y'all for coming. Anybody else? It's time to get serious about the conversion that happened to you, family. It's time. It's time. No more playing. It's time. He didn't save you for nothing. He didn't save you to wild out. He saved you for his glory. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with everything that is within him. And God is the expanse in every direction with no end. And if you're here and you know you haven't taken your conversion to Christ seriously, and God's been bugging you, I want to pray for you. I know for a fact there's more people than this. God's been bugging you, challenging you. Take me seriously. I see you, sis. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it's more people than this. I sense it all in my sanctified soul. It's more people than this. He's saying, take me seriously today. He said, I love you to death. Don't put me on hiatus. You can't put me out, he's saying. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he wants you, even in your mess up. Some of you are wrestling because you're saying, I, I've messed up too bad. I've messed up too bad. And he still loves, yes. He saved you messed up. He already knows. He knows what's going on with you. And he's still looking at you, loving you, bidding you, because you are his. Anybody else in the balcony? Any workers? Anybody? Any of you serving? You can drop what you're doing. You can drop what you're doing and say, I need, I need this. I need this moment where God is moving. I need this moment. I need this moment. I need this moment where God is bugging me because he loves me. Thank you, sis, for coming. I see you coming, bro. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. 
Anybody else? I see you, bro. I see you, fam. Yeah. God's love for you didn't end with the sin that you committed. The worst of it. He loves you in the worst of it. He knew about it. When you did it, he knew it. And he stills committed to you. He's still committed to you. It's nothing to be embarrassed about now because he's covering it. He's covering it. Thank you, sis, for coming. Thank you for coming. Anybody else? Thank you for coming. I see you, sis. I'm going to give us a few more minutes. I want to pray for these folks. Thank you, sis. I see you. Thank you for coming. Anybody else? Some more fellas. Stop wrestling. Wrestling and say, yo, it's me. I'm in desperate need of him. Let's go before him. Father, the one who's filled with sufficient grace, the one who's filled with sufficient might, the one who's filled with sufficient glory, who loves every one of these people more than they will ever know. And he's after you. He's after you in the midst of your mistakes. He doesn't back up from you when you sin. He pushes in deeper because he loves you. And that's why he's been bugging you. That's why he won't let you get away with it. Because you're converted. You're his. And the spirit, when he gets grieved, he lets you feel his mood, which interpreted to you as conviction. When his holiness has been violated, he sends a signal to your new spirit that says, no, 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 no. And that's the feeling of pain that you feel in your heart is the weeping heart of the Holy Ghost saying to you, no, not again, no, no, I love you, but no, I love you enough for you to feel that I'm, I'm frustrated with what you're doing, but I love you. God, cover in the mighty name of Christ. Cover by your blood. There's no condemnation for those who are in you and walk according to the Spirit. And God, I pray in the mighty name of Christ that you would continue to shake up, shake up and interrupt lives. Shake them up. Make people uncomfortable. Make us not be comfortable in our sin. Disrupt us, interrupt us, frustrate us, frustrate plans. Cause the phone to ring. Cause a friend to come over. Cause somebody to come pick us up. Cause us to detour. Will you do it, God, for your name's sake? And I thank you that the blood of Jesus covers sin. The Bible says, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The Bible also says that if someone confesses and forsakes a matter, they find great favor. And so I pray for you since you come, you confessing, and now the call is to forsake, and favor will wash you over. 
and God will restore to you things that you lost through your foolishness because he loves you. God, we honor you and we bless you. It's in the mighty name of Christ we pray. Amen.